If Analot's uh, uh, recording is like completely fucked, then <laughs> the whole episode's <laughs> probably gone. Um, unless I can just like remember what she said and then I could do a crude impersonation probably. of her afterwards. Yeah, that would, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w- um, I would really, I would respect it. Yeah, yeah. We're all about silencing women on this podcast. Uh, and this is a Great. new way we're doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Hang on, let me just set my screen up a bit the way. <laughs> Oh God! Um, um, <laughs> there is a there is a German basketball player with the last name Tice, who was on the Boston. Really? Yeah, he was on the Celtics, which is I'm from Boston, but he was traded. But he's still close in my heart. So I like you already. <laughs> you remind me of him. <laughs> <laughs> Tice is very tall too. Oh, I'm not no, very tall, not at all. He's extremely tall. <laughs> I believe you. Why would you lie about this? So we might leave some of this in because it's it's decent banter. Um, <laughs> I, I think the only thing that I wanted to kind of like get out of the way initially that I thought I'd ask you to about uh, that might also be a good cold open is I heard recently that um, coalition talks in the Netherlands turned into like a super spreader event amongst all the party leaders. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, can, I, can I explain what the, what happened there? Um. Well. Well. I mean, the um, the, the the cabinet, the the leadership of our country, um, are really bad at following the rules they expect the rest of the population to follow. Sick. Uh, they don't really get tested. I think Prime Minister Mark Rutte recently said to a journalist who asked like oh have you been tested he was like no actually i haven't been tested throughout this pandemic um (laughs) they don't wear masks and they're kind of like yeah we have no idea how this happened uh i think the worst thing about this was by the way the, the absolute worst thing is that one of the government ministers took the test it came out positive um and sort of like in a i mean in the in the act that set off the recent crisis she rushed out with her papers was photographed it set up a scandal because of what was on the papers but she got in the car with her driver and only after getting in the car she said by the way i just tested positive for covid um just exposing her driver to the shit oh good uh... as a as a side note i love the just any like zoom in photograph of the paper that someone's carrying because just the wildest stuff is written on that going in and out of government meetings like you could tell mm. me anything is on like yeah, um, I mean, now it's Biden, but like, yeah, President Trump, uh, his aides were were seen walking into his office with a paper proposing to build, um, you know, a golden statue of him, a hundred feet tall, and a big up. That's mm-hmm. what it said on the paper. I believe it. <laughs> See, that would be that would be funny. Like this one was, um, it's pretty pretty terrible actually, because like in coalition talks, like to create a new government, apparently the topic of this one. Um, pesky member of parliament had come up, you know, a thorn in the side of the of the previous government, um, and it had been said like we got to find a solution for this guy, um, uh, you know, because he's 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 annoying us with all of his checking our our power. Um, right. So so yeah, that was uh, that was a fun moment in Dutch politics. Oh, it, did it just have like a piece of paper saying the guy's name and then? question marks around it like almost on was there something on this paper well it's at position elsewhere oh right ah yeah ah, Yeah. i look forward to his new (laughs) i look forward to his new job in uh brussels probably that's what i'm for
your weekly corner spatey. Uh, obviously, it's me talking here, Kieran, and I'm also joined with Rob. That's right. I'm also here. Uh, and we're also joined by uh, uh, two wonderful Dutch podcasters who I'm going to get them to say the name of their podcast in a second because Jesus Christ, I can't. Uh, I'm here with Tyson and Alot. Say hi, guys. Hi. Thanks for having us. No problem. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, your podcast is called, I know it's the Reasonable Center. That's the English yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, the Redelijke Midden. Just try it. <laughs> no. Um, be brave, Karen. You can do it. Uh, uh, don't worry. There'll be plenty of chances for me to like say <laughs> dumb Dutch, Dutch shit later on. Um, I'm gonna do the really fun thing where like all your parties' names are an- anagrams, but I am not going to be saying any of the Dutch letters. Uh, I'm going to be saying them as English letters because I don't know. Um, now that I speak English, I'm really into the idea of everyone else speaking English, even though ancestrally I'm not meant to be into that. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, so as anyone could probably guess, we're going to be talking about uh, the Netherlands. What's up? Explain yourselves. Why Why are you like this? Um, that's the general vibe of this episode. Uh, for people who haven't been paying attention, there has been an election recently, um, which I love second year of the pandemic elections because I don't know about anyone else. Maybe it was different in the Netherlands, but I got like no stories about like they're holding an election during the pandemic. The insane bastards. Because um, uh. I remember that happened with the Korean election. Everyone was like, how are they doing this? The crazy people. Why aren't they postponing this? But now that it's 2021, they're just like, ah, yeah, <laughs> the Dutch are having an election, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think they briefly considered postponing like if there was a really bad surge of COVID, but everybody hated the idea. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, it also became impossible, um, I guess, when our current cabinet came into trouble because they um, racially discriminated a bunch of people of the social affairs um, office. So they were actually fired, which is a thing we can do in the Netherlands um, that I don't think you can do that everywhere where like they'll still be seated and in power, but they're called like, how do you call that in English, ties? Demissionaire. Um, <laughs> decommissioned? That kind of sounds decommissioned, like decommissioned. Sort of, yeah. Yes, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, so they kind of said, like, yeah, we completely fucked up. You're right to fire us. And then stayed seated. Um, because, yeah, they have to, like, continue until the elections. But that, I think, also gave a kind of urgency to the elections. It's a kind of caretaker, like they're they're like, oh, we're not going to do like any new policy or you know very controversial subjects, but we're just going to manage the place until the elections have taken place and um, they, our they, months long. Are they coalition. still paid? Yeah, well, yeah, that like a really good gig. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean, like for the people, then like I that it was found out and that they admitted to it, um, that entire scandal for a second gave some people some hope, I guess, because we were like, well, there's elections coming up so we can punish them for this terrible thing that they did. That is really, really horrible. Um, yeah. And then, and then they gained seats. (laughs) (laughs) Was that surprising at all? I mean, I, we even mentioned it on the podcast because we covered, um, back in 2019 when he actually was no longer the, the, uh, chancellor sebastian Kurz in austria had to resign Mm -hmm. and then something like a few months later uh regained a majority like a stronger majority for his party and so when this happened to hota i think we talked amongst ourselves that i mean we've been through this once already but what do people say in the netherlands 
fool me once. <laughs> Shame on well, you. Well, one of the things they say is like Rutte has this image as being made of Teflon, right? That this this impenetrable material and everything just sort of nothing sticks to him. Um, so I think not too many people were surprised, truly surprised. I mean that um, he 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 was barely affected. In fact, won seats. I mean, maybe the winning of the seats was somewhat surprising and, and dispiriting. But really, truly, the most in like the most vexing thing is that the two members of parliament who have fought hardest to uncover the scandal, a uh, member of the Socialist Party, the SP, and a member of the Christian Democratic Party, the CDA, um, both of these parties lost seats in the election. So <laughs> we have this huge national scandal, two um, truly like true heroes of members of parliament, like go um, work around the clock for months on end to uncover it. Um, and their parties lose seats as a result. Uh, even though, and this is the paradox, many people in the Netherlands are actually genuinely really mad about this scandal, right? So if you poll it, people are upset and say, this is, this is terrible. Um, and yet, so, so this is one of the things that I'm still <laughs> struggling to quite, like to, to, to simply explain. It's, um, yeah. yeah, but maybe we can, we can take a crack at it. Well, thank you for your hard work. You can go home now. <laughs> yeah. Jokes uh, on you, I am home. <laughs> well, that's, um, yeah, it, it's interesting because I was also, we might come back to this later, but I, I was looking into who are possible successors for Russia because like Rutta seems like, we'll get into this later, but he's like, he's gunning for like longest sitting leader of a country in the EU now that Merkel's resigning. And the problem with R Merkel is she doesn't have a successor. Like mm -hmm. the CDU in Germany is very much built around her. Uh, and it's kind of seems that's what's happened to the VVD as well. But like, I was being told by a, a Dutch friend, a Dutch comrade that like one of the people who was kind of like geared up to be the successor, I forgotten his name. I feel like, Deke was in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There we go, Dykoff. Uh, I read it as Dickoff originally, so I was like, nah, funny. <laughs> but uh, Dykoff, yeah, he's like, he was punished for this scandal, and he's like no longer seen as a viable successor anymore. Uh, and everyone's like, why was he punished but not Rutta? And they're just like, that's yeah, it's Rutta. That's what it. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I think did, didn't Dykoff actually just leave politics? Hmm. Most of the, like the stuff that I know about Dykov is that he's very insistent on wearing cool sneakers um, and posts a lot of pictures of his shoes everywhere. Um, yeah. I also remember there was an interview um, a few years ago with um, a child that was going to be evicted from the Netherlands, yes. even though he lived here for his entire life. And he said to Dykov, um, like, why... Why can't I, like, can I just stay? I'm Dutch. I live here. And uh, Dykov said something of like, well, that's just not possible because rules are rules and you're just going to be deported. Um, and that was like a kind of terrible moment that I don't think caused his downfall. It's yeah. just like no. another thing that happens in the Netherlands. I mean, that's yeah. Germany as well. Merkel did the exact same thing. Uh, and that was live on TV. Oh, God. Um, sorry. And the kid cried in front of her as she explained why you know the rules and you uh. just have to go back to afghanistan a country you've never lived in well uh. i i think i remember this clip like and at least merkel i mean the, the thing she was saying was uh were, were terrible but she sort of like tried to make this this half-assed effort at being 
Yeah. Um, like, like being, being empathetic. Whereas this kid, like 10 year old kid hmm. with a reporter in tow and the reporter kind of like, you know, has, has the mic and confronts this, um, this politician class Dykoff saying, so, um, and, and, and basically exasperated at some point says, but he has to go, like, he has to go back. Isn't that terrible? And, and Dykoff just looks at the camera and says, yeah, so <laughs> like, just, that's it. That's so it. what? So what? Like, he just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I still love, like, even when presented with the opportunity to, like, can you do some, like, spin? Like, the cameras are here. Like, can you even do this? <laughs> can you even just, like, lie? And they're just like, nah, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah. like, all right, fair enough. Well, uh, I-, I think this episode, we're going to go through uh, how the Netherlands ended up like this. Um, mm-hmm. We were basing this largely on a a, a good article from uh, the New Left Review sidecar. Uh that Rob very kindly found a uh, phonetic pronunciation of this guy's name. So let me give it a whack. Um, Moraine Auden Amption. How did oh, I do? That's pretty close. Yeah, you yeah. did pretty great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quite impressed. Excellent. Uh, we actually have a fair amount of Dutch speaking listeners. So they're probably just all like furious uh, at their phones right now. But uh, sure, yeah, let's go. Um, and one of the things that like, he kind of has this like three part uh, discussion about like what happened to the Netherlands, why you like this, explain yourselves. And yeah, first things first, I guess is the Dutch kind of embraced the third way uh, of like left politics pretty early. And this kind of leads us into a discussion of the Netherlands is like traditional center left party, uh, the PVDA uh, party for the workers Mm-hmm. Uh, a fun title that is going to uh, ring hollow the further we go into this description. Um, so yeah, I, I guess this is we're talking 1995 or so. Um, mm-hmm. I particularly enjoyed the like Wim Cock, um, probably not how I pronounce his name. Procre- it is. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, proclaimed the definitive farewell to socialist ideology at a party conference. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty damning right there. That's yeah, the, the shedding of the ideological feathers, as it became infamous. Ideological feathers. That's that's a wonderful language you guys have over there. <laughs> <laughs> the so this is 1995. This is one year after Tony Blair becomes leader of the Labour Party in the UK. Uh, three years after the election of Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that uh, Moraine kind of makes the argument is that the PVDA, unlike those other two like examples of third way center left parties, stayed like relatively left wing in their rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, so party conference is kind of behind closed doors. It's a little bit different to say, I don't know, election materials. Um, do you think that's a fair assessment of what was happening with the PVDA at the time? I, I think that is a fair assessment. And and when you talk about the PVDA being sort of like very quick to um, adjust to this new new governing dogma of neoliberalism, I think there is two factors in particular that have made this um, – you made it so that the Netherlands sort of switches very, very quickly, or maybe two or three. Let me let me list them very quickly. One, we had had the 1980s, where um, coming out of the 70s, like many 
Western countries, there were um, you know problems of stagflation. Um, economic growth was was um, was was uh, abysmal. Um, government finances were uh, exploding, and people had a general sense, right? This is the Thatcherite era that um, something had to be done, and this was overseen in the 1980s by um, uh, then Prime Minister of the Christian Democrats, Ruud Lubbers. Um, and during this time, Wim Kok, who became Prime Minister in the 1990s, was uh, the most important union leader in the Netherlands. But the particular structure of the Netherlands of Dutch politics is very much oriented around seeking consensus, right? People call this the Polder model, right? Okay, yeah. um, and uh, because he had worked with successive governments in the 1980s and had sort of like internalized this Dutch elite culture of finding common ground and taking responsibility for government together, I think that sort of fosters a culture of um, managerialism, right? Uh, so that's the, that's the one factor. Um, I think the second factor is um, that um, uh, there was a deep desire on the part of the PVDA to really reach power because they had been out of power since the 1970s, um, with, which was the last time they uh, they, they truly um, uh, were were the the largest party and, and had the prime minister. Um, so there was that motive as well, um, and then. Um, I would say probably the third factor uh, that is of some importance. I have completely lost my train of thought, so I will reserve this for later. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like the yeah. um, there's a, there's a kind of an I feel like a metaphor or something with the the polder is like how you Dutch build those like little bits of land, you know, in such a watery country, and just like assuming that that kind of just that is an analogy for the kind of decision making. That yes. can crumble mm -hmm. long term under you know the, the the weight of a rising right right wing is kind of like how the Netherlands will be underwater uh, due to climate change. So like enjoy your polder, yes. but it's not going to last that long. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, that that's something we've been discussing as well after the election results. Like three of the four hosts from uh, in our podcast live abroad, and I think it was Thais who said, "Well, you know, in sixty years." That country is gone, so <laughs> that'll fix it. <laughs> silver lining. <laughs> That's a silver lining of like, this is all temporal. Um, yeah. Pro problem solved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm looking forward to like the Dutch uh, 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 new population of like a transient people group of just like roaming the countryside, you know, begging on the side of the road in like, higher latitude countries like switzerland bay like i will start a design agency uh for money uh or whatever happens in amsterdam that's my impression of amsterdam is just lots and lots of design agencies um <laughs> i was very confused about what the real economy of the netherlands is because it mostly seems to be like design and web agencies um but anyway i think we have a lot of marketing people Oh, sick! <laughs> Just... And I, yeah, that that probably relates to Margaret as well, and um, his popularity and smile, and yeah. Um, we are a country that smiles a lot while doing terrible things. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, I just just as you were saying that, I was reminded of the fact that uh, Royal Shell Company is a Dutch company. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Progressive. Isn't that great? <laughs> um, one of the things that's kind of like reminded me of, and I, I guess the Dutch Greens are a little different because the Dutch Greens have like left, just like baked into the title uh, of the party. But this kind of like 
left-wing rhetoric but governing on the right seemed very reminiscent of like greens in any other country once they got remotely close to power this is very reminiscent of like irish greens and the german greens um yeah i'm not sure how fair that is but this just jumped out to me when i was reading this yeah i think it also relates to that idea of boldre um i think there's a deep desire on the basically mainstream left to build bridges between um, like center right parties and themselves um, with the idea that if they just keep talking with them and um, stay close to power or even share power with them, that they'll be able to at least get some progressive policies through or um, yeah, get some things done. And what ultimately ends up happening is that whenever a left wing party does join a center right government is that they cannot do what they promise and lose more votes in the next elections. And then, um, yeah, so that's like a pattern that I see repeating itself um, where they also like then again, keep shirking against those center right parties still in the election cycles of like, we are like them, but green and we are like them, but we think women are great. And (laughs) in general, we also disagree with racism sometimes. And, you know, they, they like, water themselves down to um, basically get a chance to to be in power, but then people ultimately do go for like the real thing, right? So yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's a real um, sort of you know, in in my kinder moments, I am thinking that the Netherlands, um, you know, politically, the Netherlands are a center right country, right? The even the, the left, even at the height of its influence and power in the 1970s, never commanded an actual majority of the Dutch. Uh, vote share, right? Um, so the notion that the Netherlands is a very, very progressive country actually in the numbers is not borne out. Uh, and I think many of the left-wing parties have internalized this to some extent uh, and understand that you know the, the, the best they can do is have a booster election, um, uh, outperform their usual numbers, um, and enter a government coalition with the center-right, which usually includes either the Christian Democrats, CDA, or the conservatives, VVD. Uh, Rutte is, is the VVD, right? Um, that is in my kinder moments. I think in my my less kind moments, I'm thinking that there's also a genuine belief still on the Dutch left that neoliberalism is simply right. I'm thinking of Jeroen Dijsselbloem, for example, who is a true, uh, true and tested ideologue, right? Who, who um, destroyed the economy of Greece because he genuinely believed it was the right thing to do. Um, and so in those instances, I don't really think that um, the left is merely beholden to compromise with the right at every single turn, you know, get get a little bit in the margins, you know, some, some, some nice things for the environment here, um, some subsidy for, for, a, for, a, for a nice thing there, um, but that there's genuinely a governmental attitude um, that is neoliberal in nature. Well, and that's like, even when you do want progressive politics to happen, like they are often legitimized um, in a kind of neoliberal way of like, it's profitable to have more women working because, you know, like they're never, it's it's never about real leftist ideals. It's always about, is it commodifiable, marketable, profitable, then we will get support for it. Um, yeah, it's very, it sounds very transactional. Um, and a lot, your description of those parties that are like, yeah, what they said, but we're green too, reminds me of 
um, the the game show, I think this analogy will still fit for a European audience. The game show, the price is right. When someone bets a certain amount and then you just bet $1 more to just cover them. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, they're just they're like, hey, if you like that, but this is slightly better, then why don't what you, you should right. choose us? Right. Well, I would even say like, it's the opposite. Like it's, you go a dollar down. You say like, if you like that, you can also vote for us and we're a little less racist and like, you know, like we're yeah. a little kinder and better for the environment, um, but we will still make things profitable. I think this so, this yeah. this the, this analogy came up when we were talking about like uh, uh, Catalonia and Spain recently, where like uh, the center party or center right party, the Ciudadanos, spent the entire time getting into these like uh, culture war stuff and taking on the exact same position as Vox, the like far right party in Spain, and then it turns out when the elections happened when people are given the choice between Coke and Diet Coke, they pick Coke. Like, just, you know, let me have my treats. I don't want to... Yeah, like, why why would I vote for the lesser Vox when Vox is on the table? Um, yeah, yeah, so that's... It's interesting that, like, I, I would agree that, like, the center-right, or the, the uh, 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 you're, like, in my darker moment statement of just, like, a good contingent of the left across the entire continent across the entire world hasn't realized that like um well neoliberalism is kind of dead or dying um mm-hmm. i feel like the right wing has kind of moved on to something else uh entirely but like they haven't realized that this has been tried a million times before sometimes even within their own country within their own political theater that like, oh, you get into bed with the monster parties and they will devour you and they will not compromise. Um, and you've just compromised on yourself and you push everything rightwards and it's fun. Let's not think about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's very depressing stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like, that's the depressing thing about being Dutch right now, right? If you're Dutch and you are oriented on leftist politics, like we are in our podcast, then this is exactly what makes it super depressing is that we see all of these things that are happening everywhere. Um, happen in the netherlands too but with like a delay so we're just slower you know we just keep believing and building on things that some other countries at least to a degree have now said that's not right or have seen the consequences of what then happens with like fascism Mm -hmm. and an extreme right takeover um in ways that we have not yet but we're just like we're stuck in time it almost seems and like unwilling to listen to voices from elsewhere telling us that we're not doing the right thing you know with yeah I, I have to disagree. I think the Dutch center left, I think the PVDA is willing to listen because I found out about this great moment of the 2015 PVDA conference where while they were talking about how Corbynism and the critiques of austerity have no foundation, um, they were listening to a foreign voice in nonstop winner of the UK political scene, Chaku Amana. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, I... I at a certain point, I feel like it's just like a bunch of, I don't know, either either fools or grifters. It's hard to tell. Mm. It's functionally useless to make the distinction on our end of just like convincing each other. Um, well, well, l- l- let me expand on this because uh, the, the, the then PVDA leader, uh, Lodewijk Usher, um, this wonder boy of Dutch politics um, who has since left Dutch politics, um, said that he looked upon the Corbyn phenomenon with glee, um, right? With, with, cause he was, he was, he was so excited to see a labor party, um, imploding as he, as he implied, you know, under, uh, um, 
under this Corbynism, which was clearly the wrong way to go. And and mind you, um, before he uh, ascended to the political leadership of the PVDA party, he was the director of the um, uh, of the VRD Bech- Beckmann Stichting, uh, which is their sort of like scientific bureau, their ideological bureau. Um, and during his stint there, he was like inviting, uh, and I, I don't know if you remember these names because it's like a blast from the past, but he was inviting Philip Blonde, who had published uh, the book um, Red Tory and uh, 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 Maurice Glassman with Blue Labor, right? Which was this sort of David Cameron inspired yeah. uh, conservative turn in uh, British politics, right? All about the big society and how the state should sh- step back and have civil society take care of itself. Uh, that also happened under his leadership in the PVDA. So during this time, uh, and this is like the five years before they enter a government coalition with the uh, with the conservatives, um, there is this ideological moment in the PVDA where they say, you know what? <laughs> David Cameron uh, is actually great. Uh, and, and Corbyn we don't understand it at all. Why would you, you know, why why would you be on the left when you can be a Negro liberal? I love that there's this feedback loop between the UK and the Netherlands, which, like, of course there is. You guys are right beside each other, but like at the same time, it's one that, like, I feel like the UK just does not acknowledge exists. Because um, I like this, like, you know, Dutch politicos just being like, "Oh yeah, David Cameron, oh Corbyn, he's stupid. I like David Cameron." And then, like, you just ask a, like, random Labour MP who, like, Ludovic Asher is, and they're just like, who? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Sorry, no thanks. I've already eaten. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but it is interesting that you, you brought up, uh, uh, um, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, uh, Dieselbaum, Bloom, um, Jared Disselbloom, because... Um, he is like this huge figure that I think a lot of people on the left in Europe remember, but then are probably like, I remember him from that like period of, you know, the early 2010s, 2008, 2011, but then like constantly coming, like I forget that he's supposedly meant to represent like a center left position uh, because of what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, do we want to go into Jürgen Dijsselbloem? I Please. think so, yeah. <laughs> um, because he's like particularly an enemy of Varoufakis a little bit, or Varoufakis considers him an enemy. Yeah, yeah. Because I, th- I think for for Varoufakis, like every like all of the um, arrogance of neoliberal government uh, g- government sort of like boils down into the figure of Jeroen Dijsselbloem, who who combines a unique blend of extreme moralism with extreme neoliberal positions right i i think he he um drew the ire of of many european countries when he suggested that you know the reason that austerity needed to be force-fed to italy and greece um was the reason that if you allow them a little bit of money uh, they would just spend it all on booze and women um, <laughs> schnapps und frauen i think he said right um and 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 this is you know that and that I think is Dutch social democracy of that era at least to a T right mm-hmm. having fully internalized um, the idea that you need to um, hurt people to incentivize them into reform but also cover it over with a deeply moralistic attitude about how all of their life choices are wrong I think that is 
you know that that is Dutch <laughs> Dutch social democracy of that era. Um, it's truly it's a it's monstrous, and 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 Fagofakis is very right to hate him. I think the thing that like baffles me about the Netherlands, I, I think you might have uh, listened to the the last episode, a uh, very recent episode we did where we covered um, mainly Volt uh, because they are my nemesis. Um, mm-hmm. They're also Tyson's nemesis. Go yeah, on, I Gessler. hate them. Let's join forces on this. <laughs> um, but like the fact that like Lubach, uh, this like Dutch equivalent to like John Oliver uh, uh, type figure, like did a bit about like Italians not voting in austerity governments enough, even though like they did since 2011, they've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, th- yeah, great comedy, man. This is a fun show. <laughs> but like, it's such a, it's such a bizarrely ingrained position. I guess they, like, like, don't get me wrong. Like one out of every two Germans you ask will probably say the exact same thing about like Sudlanders and whatnot. And the, the Germans and the Italians and the Greeks, and, not the Germans, the, the Italians, the Spaniards and the Greeks and whatnot. But like, yeah, it's this, um, I don't know, social austerity as well as like, it's the same. Just like, don't give that homeless person money. He's going to spend it on drugs kind of thing. It, it's very grotesque. And I don't understand how they can come away from this and think this is the moral position. Um, also, I just find it very, very funny. The idea of the Italian government just buying women and schnapps just like as a state position <laughs> that's right yeah that would it's rule. the it's the new medicare for all position it's just yeah. booze and women for everyone um i mean that would have made like the the euro crisis maybe uh, slightly more bearable uh for the average italian the the moralism is also interesting because i would imagine that a lot of people who see themselves as very morally upright think I need to do this because no one else will for the good of Europe or the Eurogroup or the finance or whatever it might be. But really it's like, no, you're just, that's how you get off. You just love feeling this sense of whether it's superiority or you're the only one fighting valiantly against something. And it's just like, I just wish they would admit that, that it's like, this is just for me. I like being a dick. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saving Europe. I'm not, you know, making sure that our children can have a, a, a good future. I just, this, this is how I get my kicks. Well, this is this well, is what the right wing does, and that's why they get votes because they're just saying the exact same thing as Dieselbaum is, but just being like, "Yeah, but it's because I hate Italians," and everyone's like, "Yes, cool." <laughs> well, I think it's also like in a way related to Dutch history in terms of like colonialism and um, the stories we are taught in high school about what we call the golden century, which is basically the century where we had um, invented, helped invent slavery. Um, and that made us a lot of money. So we get taught about that as golden century. Um, and I think there is this thing in there and it's like, we're this tiny country um, with a gigantic sense of self. We think we are extremely important, extremely smart. Um, uh, we have a lot to say. We have a lot of opinions that we share with anyone who is willing or unwilling um, like, you know, we will, we will share them anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we're quite famous for that as well, like being very outspoken. Um, and there's also this idea that we see the world as is, while other countries might be like seeing too many ideological things or, yeah. or uh, political 
stuff or, you know, like they get distracted by things. But we, the Netherlands, we see how to run a country. And that's not that different from a colonial empire in terms of like, we see how to make a profit, where to do that, how to grow. We are very focused on growth and the idea of of, of getting wealthier. Um, and, you know, I think that also all relates to that idea of of moralism and being the ones that that see things as they are. Mm. It's, it's a, I, I love the because yeah, it, it's this very arrogant position as well of, of just like the it's the classic everyone else is crazy except for me defense. Exactly, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's it's also the same of just like even even when you have like this kind of center left uh, analysis of like the rise of the right wing i'm just like oh look at all these like uh i don't know la lega or donald trump supporters being tricked that'll never mm-hmm. happen to me yes exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like and that's the thing we do a lot with the us and especially like since brexit also with the uk mm. is that we point to these other countries and say like oh what a mess we got it all figured out and they're a mess um you know which <laughs> you've got it all yeah. figured out as the water reaches my ankles uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, so can I so can I briefly go on on a little bit of a, it might seem like a tangent, but I promise it will get back to this to this point, yeah. right? Because we, we've been talking about the embrace of neoliberalism as a um, as a as a, a sort of like economic doctrine by the Dutch establishment, um, and been tracing that through the eighties and the nineties. But I think there's a separate element that connects to this intense moralism on the European stage by some of these social democratic politicians or, you know, social democratic politicians in name um, that actually roots in some of the traumas of the left um, in the early 2000s, right? So the early 2000s bring this popular, like this, this sort of like rejection of um, run of the mill Dutch progressivism, right? Um, The progressive or nominally progressive cabinets of the of the um, 90s get repudiated. You have Fortuyn. Fortuyn gets murdered. It's a huge national trauma. Of course, you get Geert Wilders in 2006. And the whole of Dutch punditry goes through this um, convulsion of trying to make sense of it. And of course, you have you know, immediately you're like uh, scores and scores of pundits who focus on Islam and say, you know, this, it's, it's all multiculturalism and, and, and migrants and Muslims, uh, and they're to blame and we need to be, um, strict and assimilate them and stop immigration and, and whatnot. But there is, um, there's a sep- separate segment on the left of people that say, well, you know, this is, um, this is not really the root cause, although hostility towards these groups is a symptom of something. And they begin to theorize. Um, and one of the people who does this was the then ideologue for the Green Party, the Hoon Links Party, Dick Bells, who says, well, you get this. Um, the, the problem really is that citizens have now become fully emancipated, right? At the end of history, we have the newly emancipated citizen. Um, and emancipation of the citizen, right, who is an individual who is free, who has a certain um, degree of, of income and wealth at his disposal and who would like to just enjoy life comes in two varieties, a good one and a bad one. And the good one is, you know, that citizen is is happy, is tolerant, is modest about him, you know, the space that he takes himself, is generous, is open towards the world, etc. I would like to share the affluence that he enjoys. And then there's the bad one who's just greedy and egotistical and wants to drive a big vehicle with um, wants to play loud music and wants to take a lot of space for him for himself. 
but you see that the left adopts in response to this um, cultural unease a moralistic attitude about you know how um, we 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 are now stuck with a with a citizen that we don't really like, and so. Uh, their solution to this problem is maybe the left needs to re-embrace um, a moral vision for society, right? What good citizenship means. And we need to stop being so permissive about everything. And out of this moment come politicians like Jeroen Dijsselbloem, who before wrecking Greece actually made a name for himself by leading a crusade against nudity on television and violence in video games. Um, yes, yes, yes. And, and Lodewijk Usher, who before, you know, stepping to the national states of politics was a, a local elderman in Amsterdam and cracked down on the red light district. Again, out of this sense of um, I'm saving these women uh, who are all victims of trafficking and who shouldn't be doing these professions anyway, um, and really cleaning up Amsterdam because it's been too permissive. Um, of course, you know, under the guise of this comes gentrification, um, etc. Um, but but this was the moral image that he projects. So there's a generation of leftist politicians that um, step onto the national stage. Uh, just before 2010, just before they actually ascent to actual power, who are deeply, deeply, deeply moralist in their conception of what it means to be on the left, right? They need to save society from itself. And I think this is reflected to some extent in, you know, them going to Greece and saying, you're doing this all wrong. Let me, let me step in and tell you how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, I think um, moralism is like, it always has to have um, it's always relational, right? Like you can't prove that you are fight like an upright citizen, developing upright society, unless there's an enemy, right? <laughs> or someone lazy or someone corrupting your society that you can take on because, you know, it's never there. We solved all the problems. We are a perfect upright society. Like, you know, it'll always just, I don't know, turn to a new and enemy. Someone sneezes and everyone turns around and looks at them with like children of the corn. Yeah. <laughs> It's oh, a, God. it's a very, um, uh, it's also deeply uh, a horrifyingly colonial mindset as well. Because when you just like outline that, and it's it all seems very colonialism turned into it. As I think Rob has made this point, particularly about the America of just like the cops living in the suburbs and viewing the city as this place that needs to be tamed. Because yeah. um, like what you're describing with the red light district in Amsterdam also seems very similar as well, and. Also, how can you be like a Dutch politician and not be aware of like where the tourism money comes from? Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, well, but, but, but there was literally an argument at the time on the left being like, oh, this is bad tourism. We need better tourism. Like we need people. <laughs> no, literally we need, okay. you know, we need people spending money in the museum gift shop instead of at the red light district. Uh, that, that's I'm sorry. Like, any Dutch politician that's thinking that they're going to have like a tourist economy, not based on drunk English people falling into canals is just like a fool, a fool. Uh, just the idea that any left ideology can be pro tourism is very funny i mean like i mean we all know what tourism like does to an economy right it's very much like all-encompassing especially for countries that don't have you know their marketing and and other industries to fall back on yeah oh yeah like hey, the tourism trap like yeah look at like again the southern economies during the pandemic when no one can fly to them during the summer months um mm. greece is like 
Did like Greece doctor their corona numbers to like so they could justify people coming in the summer? Uh last summer now. Uh I wish Nick was here, he would have known that. But yeah. Um before we we leave the discussions of PVDA to move on to uh, to um more horrifying pastures, I guess. Um we should probably talk about 2017. Because my understanding yes. is 2017 is this like watershed moment of Maybe not everyone, maybe not the right people realizing that the the jig is up, but um, the jig is up. (laughs) The PVDA kind of loses a bunch of seats and their old strategy doesn't seem to be working anymore. Uh, What exactly happened in 2017? Um, Electorally to 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 the PVDA? I mean, I guess just like what were voters thinking? Why? Why? Well, yeah, let's let's start with what happened electorally to them, I guess. So, I mean, um, two parties got rewarded for a very successful right-wing government, and that was the right-wing party and the nominally left-wing party, and they got rewarded um, according to their uh, uh, to their contribution. That is to say, the right-wing party won seats because they had done spectacularly well doing right-wing policy, and the left-wing party, the PVDA, got hammered because they did spectacularly well pursuing right-wing policy. Um and um, because they they had been in the governing coalition with with Rutte's VVDA, um, and um, I guess you know that's um, that's that's kind of where, um, where 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 they were at, right? They 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 got their just desserts in a way. Well, and then if you ask what were people thinking, like that moment in in Dutch culture was a very strange moment because on the one hand we were watching the U.S. and the U.K basically fall apart and um, going terribly wrong. And at the same time, we had in the Netherlands as well, a lot of discussion around, for example, Me Too, um, but also um, a lot of more uh, media attention for um, Zwarte Piet or uh, racist blackface thing. Um, And we had a lot of people speaking out to that being racist and protesting it. um, And these protesters were then attacked and uh, the police didn't handle it well. And so there were these, this paradox of the Dutch culture was going on where we were, the people on the one hand were saying like, oh, we're not like the Americans or the Brits. We are reasonable people and we see things as they are and we don't get into that sort of drama. But then at the same time, these people like that were fighting for gender rights, for um, gender equality, um, against sexual violence, um, against racism, these anti-racist activists were all kind of painted out to be disturbing the peace. Um, And like, we're at the same time seen as like, you're trying to make this into a mess. And these are American things that you're trying to import to this country because we are the Netherlands and we don't have that kind of issues. We we don't have those kind of issues because we're very progressive and we're very liberal. So you had that like great paradox of Dutch culture again, where basically all the voices from the margins who were saying like, no, things are not going well. We're silenced with like, can't you see how the rest of the world is falling apart while we are doing great? We are great and liberal and progressive. Um, yeah, it's very reminiscent. It's, it's something that comes up a lot when any discussions of like race happens pretty much in any continental European country to a lesser extent, also the UK um where they're just like no this is american stuff we 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 never had these problems we never did slavery we never did uh, a bunch of stuff that we you know totally did do um so yeah, yeah that's that's very fair but 
I guess this is a uh, this kind of leads us into the the second point pretty well uh, with discussions of Svatapis, the the term you're not allowed to ever type on Twitter unless you don't want like twenty Dutch reply guys uh, coming <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did a whole episode on that. Um, but we're talking about, I guess, the culture wars that kind of consumed nineties uh, um, Netherlands and have kind of taken place ever since. Um, one thing that I saw a journalist in, in Berlin, a Dutch journalist in Berlin, kind of point out that the Netherlands, while being the first in a lot of things like gay marriage and like a kind of a, a, a laxer policy to some of the lesser drugs, uh, did also point out that they were the first country in Europe to have a prominent role for the far right. Um, you, you've already mentioned Wilders, but he's he's kind of an OG. He's been there longer than your Salvini's, your uh, um, your AFDs in, in, in Germany. That you've, I think, the only other country that kind of compares is Austria, where the FPU has been around since the Nazis were allowed to be a thing. Um, yeah. yeah, and this well, is the, yeah. The, the, there was this incredible moment in the most recent election where, during I think it was the final debate between the party leaders um broadcasted live on, on dutch television um where margarita said and so so margarita had coasted to power in 2017 um and and this was very quickly uh explained also in in many uh english language and and, and international media as um the good populism won over the bad populism, right? Mark Rutte triumphed over Gerd Wilders by tacking somewhat to the right, but still being, you know, presentable and 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 like you know, you, Mark Rutte can be received in polite society. And the, the, the political scientist um, Kosmuta recently pointed this out that it's completely, it's complete bogus because actually the far right again this most recent election expanded its vote share, right? Dutch, the Dutch far right is far from being defeated. Uh, in, in fact, it has continued to grow under Rutte in spite of this line about the good populism, quote unquote, defeating the bad populism. Um, but there was this really telling moment in the recent, in that recent last debate where, uh, where Mark Rutte said, um, basically, um, well, Mr. Geert Wilders, you know, you challenge me. Um, but while you are just like angrily tweeting, I am preventing immigrants from getting here. Um, <laughs> you know, supposedly, you know, <laughs> intended as this kind of big own being like, oh, well, you're, you, you're just tweeting about it, but I get shit done. And many people immediately were uh, quick to point out on Twitter being like, so, you know, what's the difference then? Like he, he, he's tweeting and you, you act as his lapdog and, ma- and, and, and get it done. Yeah. The difference um, is from a utilitarian point of view, he is more evil. And then he sits back and waits for applause. <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah, yeah. i am actually so, the bad guy <laughs> so and 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 um so so there is in fact this constant drift towards towards the far right and even now and this is i think a very interesting point so there's all this talk right now because margarita is in uh, some kind of political trouble because he lies too many times um and i see friends who i consider to be broadly on the left saying well, it would be good if Mark Rutte goes because he's bad, but at the same time, what if someone worse comes back? So there is people on the left who, who, whose credentials I don't really question, who are kind of struck with fear that um, 
you know, of all the bad things that we have in the Netherlands, that Margarita is still sort of like one of the one of the people who is at least dependably reasonable. Um, yeah, like somewhat somewhat reliable, and that you know the alternative to Rutte, whatever it is, from his own party or from the far right, is going to be um, an infinite number of times worse. Um, so, so even people on the left are kind of like, you know, Rutte isn't so bad, even though he's terrible. We will if get, I can like yeah. slightly go back and relate all of this again to that 2017 moment, that was very crucial because I think that what Margrethe did in 2017 is exactly what Ty said. Like he was getting closer and closer to the extreme right. And one of the biggest things that he did was he had this big advertisement in a national newspaper uh, that was a full page of basically a letter to Dutch people. Hmm. Um, and the entire letter was basically about we, the Netherlands, we are very invested in being normal, acting normal, um, doing normal things, having normal opinions, normal behavior. Um, so he wrote this letter that said like, well, most of the people in this country are of goodwill is what he wrote. Um, because this is a great country, but there are some who are of bad will, have bad will and, and bad faith, and they are anti-social. And with them, he mostly pointed at anti-racist activism, but basically activists in general. Um, and the letters literally said, be normal, like act normal or go away, like go to wherever you think it's better because you're being ungrateful and you're disturbing the country. You're being annoying. Um, and you can't just yell when you don't like things was something he wrote in it as well. Um, so he really paved the way for a lot of more right-wing voters to like him and kept doing that. And this entire notion of normality is, I think, a very smart way of speaking to the Dutch because I think there are a lot of people in the Netherlands who dream of nothing more, who aspire to nothing more than being normal and acting normal and doing normal, which obviously means... Like this constant investment in the renewal of the status quo um, for people who who just want to, to a degree, live an apolitical life. You know, they, yeah, like we we talked about that very briefly at the beginning. I'm not sure we were taping yet about that idea of just being left alone and almost libertarian views of I don't want politics in my life at all. Um, I just want to be normal and lead a normal life. Is I think. Yeah. It sounds like a joke a very from, Dutch dream. from 2017 Twitter. Dutch is just a normal world. Netherlands are normal right. worlds. <laughs> They're very normal people. This is something, yeah. I think, um, just to, I, I feel like I keep making the same point, but I want to add something else I forgot, which is, I, I've tried to make this sh uh, point on the show before, but something about liberalism in particular is like, I feel like it's impossible for like the liberal subject to be like fully realized politically. Because there's something about the the basic tenets of like a liberal ideology, and I think this ties into the the moralism idea that there's always someone else who isn't the same as you, where there are always these like differences built in. Because for you to be a moral person, there has to be un immoral people. Because otherwise, how do you know you're moral? And you can apply that to so many things, like that you are working harder. There have to be people who aren't working hard, and this and that. And it's impossible. And I think this manifests itself with uh when it comes to the right wing because there's this imaginary of this like mass of people who are fundamentally different than you because that's how you know you're better but that will always be tempted by these dark forces that of course you aren't tempted by again to 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 prove how well you aren't tempted by the by the right wing you have to show how much everyone else is 
And it leads mm-hmm. to like a, it, it creates like a fundamental impasse in liberal thinking because it, I mean, and certainly to, to like any kind of mass politics, because at its fundamental core, you you define yourself in such a way to other people that it's like you would be losing what makes you feel good, you know, whatever you think you're better in order to to take that step into like a kind of mass politics with other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's like perfectly exemplified in the like women and schnapps line of just like, oh, if Italians get half a chance, they'll spend all their money on women and schnapps. Two things Dutch people famously hate. We <laughs> we hate that over here. This is a very uh, sexless, uh, teetotaling country. <laughs> <laughs> sexless, snapless. Um, see, the, the Italians even drink schnapps. I feel like I feel like that is a very just like don't sign your own tweets type of thing. Like, cause I feel like it's the Germanic peoples who drink schnapps. I don't know, but like, um, your neighbor probably the, yeah. the Italians, yeah. they, they won't stop doing blackface and they should just work hard. I don't know why they spend all day <laughs> creating elaborate costumes. <laughs> well, that's, that was that, that was that magazine cover. We got obsessed with. There was a Dutch right wing magazine cover. This was around the time when the Euro bonds were being discussed uh, we refer to it as the Italian Stalin, uh, Italian Stalin magazine because it was on the top of the magazine cover, like hardworking Dutch people. And then on the bottom were like presumably swarthy Italians. The guy looked like Stalin, uh, just in like a crushed velvet shirt, uh, just like lazing beside the pool. And, I remember this. Yeah, I think it was Elsevier magazine. Yeah, that sounds about right. And the thing we kind of like joked about was like, Okay, there's this uh, there's this woman in like office attire, and she's obviously running to her job. But there's also this factory worker, and we're just like, there are no Dutch factory workers. Stop fucking lying. Um, this is a heavily financialized economy. Twenty marketing executives fine tuned uh, the guy who looks like Stalin to to make sure to just to trigger like Dutch boomers to like pick up the um, magazine. Yeah. The um, but yeah, it is a little bit telling on yourself. And it, again, it's this, this this moralizing thing of just like separating it out as well, because I, 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 I've I lived in Northern Europe all my life. And I know the second the, the fucking sun comes out, everything stops. Like you kind of like we all just like take a break. We go to the canal. We go to the seaside. Like, but then if you try to position this as like, no, that's what the immoral bad citizens do. Then like, whoa. Why won't I vote for the guy with the goofy hair who says he's going to like I don't know genocide Indonesians or something? I mean, what what are you offering me? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think this is sort of like I mean, if you're if you're keen, of course, but this would be pivoting into one of the things that we haven't really talked about, and that is the complicity of a lot of Dutch media. And I say media in a general sense, but really what I'm talking about is television and and radio. Dutch print media tends to be a little better, um, save for that Elsevier magazine with the who which which ran the cover. You know, but one of the most important things to understand about Dutch media is that it's incredibly stupid. Um, <laughs> yes, go on. <laughs> that, that that it really um, has uh, incredibly limited self awareness in the way that it perpetuates and amplifies and reinforces certain stereotypes. Um, in the way that it treats politicians uncritically, and in the way that it's really remarkably willing, and there's like there's actual data on this to um, invite far right politicians into their studios, into their talk show tables, uh, into their, you know, evening program to, you know, give them softball questions and let them talk about how the 
most recent revelations about anti-Semitism in their party are really, really overblown. Um, uh, and so, you know, this this is and, and if you if you criticize them on this, they get incredibly testy. That it can get they get incredibly sort of uh, aggrieved, right? Because they're like, oh, are you accusing me of? being a bad journalist? Are you, do you hate journalism? Do you hate journalists in general? Do you hate freedom of speech? What, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, um, the numbers quite clearly show that, you know, Dutch, especially Dutch talk shows, um, in, in numbers that do not really match their actual political power, invite far right figures over to, uh, to the, to the talk shows to, you know, to, um, to have very, very friendly sit downs with them. And even if they have quote unquote left-wing people on, it's usually, you know, one of those left-wing people that a genuine left-wing person does not really recognize as a member of the same political team, right? It's usually some kind of, you know, well-meaning centrist, um, if that, um, who is ineffective and kind of babbles and stammers, um, and just gives the left overall a bad name. So no one's on the left in the Netherlands is happy with Dutch TV media, Dutch radio. Um, uh, again, you know, and I, I say this as someone who um, has some friends also in Dutch print media, I think print media tends to be better. Um, but Dutch journalism in generally doesn't really have a conception of politics. And I think this goes to the heart of the matter. And this is a more serious point. Um, you know, and that I've sort of gotten this off my chest. I think the more serious point is that uh, many Dutch journalists understand politics as sort of like this, this intricate um, uh, uh, game, right? Between political parties, who's up and who's down, who's talking yeah. to who, who seems to be, who seems to be criticized, who seems to capture the zeitgeist, uh, who is popular, uh, who had the good one-liner, um, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Scandal, slip-ups, uh, intra-party politics, it's all wonderfully entertaining, but yeah. they don't understand ideology. They don't understand a more thorough analysis of Dutch social life, of Dutch economics, uh, of ideas. And it just hurts discourse because everything gets dragged down to popularity contests. Well, that, um, that, that has to happen because due to the crusade against the nudity on TV, politics had to become Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones on Dutch TV was 30 minutes long in total <laughs> uh, with all the dick removed. But like, yeah, it, it strikes me as like, I like as someone who doesn't understand Dutch bar the like I have a little bit of German therefore I can pick out the odd proper noun um I have seen a lot of Dutch TV and it does seem kind of fairly sensational um mm -hmm. and there is also like a, a relatively um decent comparison to be made with the UK like when you talked about like how they react to you have a right-wing bias kind of thing, or you might have like a, a racial bias to these supposedly impartial journalists. A, a very notable thing that happens in the UK is that it's, you get a whole media class of people who consider it worse to be called racist than actual racism itself. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's very, very similar. Yeah. That's very similar. And I think like, like to add to what Thais has been saying is that like, so, what these TV stations say is, yeah, but these people need to be on our shows because they're very popular. So they deserve to be. And they kind of end up in this cycle, right? Because the more they air them, the more people see them, the more people like vote for them as well. They're like, there's a lot of research done to that, especially after the Trump elections of like the relationship between how much airtime we give someone and how people just like think of that person more. Yeah. Um, 
And they don't see that because they see that upsetness on the right as valid. Like these people are upset and we should look at them. And if you would then say like, listen, you have a tendency to be very obsessed with upset white men, they would be like, that's not at all the point. We don't do identity politics in the Netherlands. That's yeah, American yeah, yeah, stuff. Okay. And more more than just being American stuff, identity politics is stuff about women and race. How are these people involved in that? They're just white men. They don't have a race or a gender. Um, and at the same time, when they do have, for example, Savannah Simons on, the leader of Bayane or most leftist party um, today, they a black woman they do treat her terribly and they give her an incredible hard time and they like it's completely um not related to the amount of seats that she has in parliament which is one two for comparison um uh cherry baudet or Geert wilders who are way bigger but get almost an easier time and they treat her and i think women in general in politics mm. way more terrible without noticing because yeah identity politics are not a thing in the netherlands but like the the, the the this is very like it's like oddly transparent because you can make this comparison to uh volt and bayane as like bayane is like this is both their first election that just happened mm-hmm. but like volt had the backing of a bunch of like uh the bad guy from Be- beauty and the beast and like lubach who i mentioned earlier um mm-hmm. so like they got all this media attention whereas I don't know anyone with any sense, like as far as I can understand that like one seat, the Bay A like worked like tooth and nail to get was against media was like purely because they had like this groundswell of activist support. Um, That's right. Yeah. And then like, like it also seems like the Dutch media basically created whole cloth. um, I'm going to try to pronounce it the Dutch way, cherry baguette. um, But like the uh, theory about as I've been calling him, Um, but like, he's like whatever you want to say about geared filters geared filters seems to have like had some sort of base of support before the media latched onto him but like theory about day was seems like a hundred percent media creation he, he very much is and of course he, he he used to work in media he used to be a print columnist um uh, uh regularly see pundit seen pundit on uh, talk shows etc um before he sort of switched over to first having a think tank um, that he then transformed into a political party, but the, but the, um, I, I, I think this is hard to fathom, maybe for people who don't live in the Netherlands. But one of the most well-known Dutch media presenters, Jort Gelder, mm. um, who like gets to play a journalist on TV, right? He gets to host a talk show, uh, he gets to interview people, uh, is also Mark Rutte's best friend, <laughs> and apparently. This is not a problem at all for those TV programs, right? Yeah. They they don't seem to think of this as a bad thing that you can have someone's best friend and 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 mind you, Jort Kelder um, secured what a what a talent a uh, exclusive one on one interview with Margaret just before the election, uh, where he could talk just with Prime Minister Margaret about you know how he experienced being a prime minister as a person, and it's. It's 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 mind-boggling that this doesn't get more. I mean, there's people yelling about it on Twitter all the time, and I'm one of them. But it doesn't generally get more scrutiny because it's a very insular world, right? The world of Dutch politics, Dutch media, and punditry Amazing. is a single universe that just overlaps, uh, and where people move freely from one position to another, right? You can have been a government minister the one day and be a successful columnist for a national newspaper the other day, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, 
And um, it's it's just inc- this incredible small world of people who all know each other and like to pat each other on the back after a long day of doing discourse. And that's the whole thing. Um, yeah, I think yeah. the most incredible moment of this whole election campaign came when two Dutch journalists uh, of the uh, National Broadcasting Agency, the NOS, hmm. on election night, um, after having weeks on end of being the arbiters of who got to be on TV said to each other, let's talk about which parties managed to get in the news cycle as if this was something they didn't, it's, I'm not even joking as if this is, was, this was not something that they were, you know, personally involved in. It's insane. Let's talk about who managed to get into the news cycle. As you can see, I'm sharing on my screen, my contacts list, uh, these people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, um, I like to imagine that this is exactly when uh, Fukuyama said the Dutch, uh, reached the end of history first, that this is what he was talking about. He was just like strolling through a TV studio being like, hey, this exactly this is what I've, that's what I've been talking about. Uh, <laughs> it actually kind of fits a bit. If anyone's read the actual essay, the end of history, the very last paragraph is like whiplash because he says, and I quote, I mean, this is less about media, but I think it gets to like what culture is at the end of history. Anyway, Fukuyama says after 18 pages of like, or I guess 17 of, you know, talking about how, you know, liberalism and, um, uh, you know, liberal democracy, whatever the term is they use, is the, you know, final, is the steady state of uh, human existence. He says, quote, the end of history will be a very sad time. In the post-historical period, there will be neither art nor philosophy, just the perpetual caretaking of the museum of human history. And he he later refers to these quote centuries of boredom, <laughs> and like this is what he had in mind. Like this is like exactly how that appears. Like you know, not from the political lens, but if you just like turn and look at it the other way, this like the media landscape, the cultural landscape. This is the this is it's running on its own fumes. But to a certain extent, like like that is kind of true, especially of like I don't know, like. Uh, I, I I constantly think of the like Miliband, Clegg, Tony Cameron kind of debates of like 2010s of just like, yeah, we got like three stock photos of like <laughs> young office men. Uh, um, I typed in brackets tanned for Miliband, I guess. But like, we're putting them against on stage. And of course, if someone comes along to that kind of political landscape and says, um, I'm going to do a Geert Wilders quote here, uh, calling for a liberal jihad against Islam. Like, of course, the entire section of the population is going to like perk up and be like, oh, that's that's new. That's exciting. Um, because everything else has just been so dull, so boring. Oh, um, this this reminds me of um, another article that um, Out and Amshin wrote in Jacobin that uh, you mentioned to, or, or you mentioned his book, Tice, but this debate or talk that was hosted between Fukuyama and this um, Dutch politician Bokestein. Can you can you introduce who that who he is and and what this debate was? Yeah. So so um, uh, Bokestein uh, Fritz Bokestein is the uh, is one of the most prominent um, you know senior politicians of the of the VVD Margaretis party. Um, he's sort of um, um, he's, he's, he's living a quiet life now away from the public eye because he's very, very old. Um, but in the 1990s, he pretty much began pioneering this anti-immigrant sentiment on the right. Um, and he began writing about 
um, questions of why has the Netherlands not experienced, like the Anglo-Saxon world has, a more profound and deep conservative backlash against the um, uh, political cultures of the 1960s and 70s, right? Or uh, against the new left. Mm. Um, and he begins to first question this and then advancing it, of course, in an ideological sense. Um, and so for Marijn Oudenamsen, who, who um, did his PhD on this figure as well, um, the, um, uh, the, the revolt against uh, the Dutch establishment, right, that is exemplified by Pim Fortuyn and later by Geert Wilders, begins by Fritz Bolkestein. And Geert Wilders, of course, was working for Bolkestein when he was still an active politician, right? So, so Geert Wilders is really um, uh, a product of of Bolkestein. Um, also very funny I, to me that Bolkestein, uh, before he was a politician, uh, he worked 16 years for Royal Dutch Shell. Talk about <laughs> yeah. establishment. Talk about establishment, exactly. Corporate directors, um, which, you know, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, he's, so he sort of stands at this beginning of like the, the, the conservative or, or even neoconservative, if you want to call it that, turn in, um, in Dutch politics. And we, we talked about the British connection earlier. I do want to notice that there's a very, very strong American connection to this Dutch politics as well. And it's not just through Bolkestein. It's also to uh, back then you had, uh, I mean, the Germans call this a Stiftung, but a Stichting, um, the Edmund Burke Society in the Netherlands, um, cool which had frequent, yeah, frequent study trips to Washington, D.C., where they would talk to prominent neoliberal or neocons um, and sort of like import that to the Netherlands. I think one of the most lasting contributions this society has made is popularizing Tocqueville in the Netherlands as this, you know, paragon of. Uh, a different kind of social criticism, one that is conservative. Um, and don't discount, for example, that Martin Bosma, who is Geert Wilders' uh, second man and has been for his entire career, uh, chief ideologue of the PVV party, studied in the United States for a little while and there, um, by his own account, actually uh, read voraciously the books of Norman Podoritz, right? Making it mm. um, and and those kinds of, of, of creeds, uh, screeds, I mean, um, so um, there, there is, there is yes, a strong British-Dutch connection, especially on um, what happens in the transfer on, on the left with the PVDA and, and, and Blue Labor. Uh, but on the right, there is also a very, very strong American connection. I mean, Geert Wilders is still funded by um, a lot of uh, uh, deep pockets from the United States as well. Well, yeah, yeah. I think a central thesis of our show is that like there is an American connection to pretty much every European uh, uh, modern country. Uh, so that reminds everyone, please check out our website, operationglad.io. Uh, but moving swiftly on. the um... Well, if, I, I don't know what you want to switch to, Kieran, but the reason I brought up Bokestein is that in his writings, at least... Um... Um, Oda Amshin gets into this like he basically criticized Fukuyama for saying no actually there, there is a meaning in politics today and it's you know this great struggle against Islam and whether it's <laughs> you know get, well, uh, the liberal jihad or uh, you have this quote here a cold war against Islam like whatever whatever you frame <laughs> it in and, and this is the neoconservative connection because they were you know the preeminent cold warriors and it's they need mm -hmm. to like create a new I, a political struggle um, if again, if you're trying to fend off like you know class politics, I mean, yeah, but it's also like sometimes every time every time I hear like a certain generation of people bring up like it's a new cold war against something else, it's always just like 
all right, you're having a midlife crisis. We all go through this. You just want to relive the glory days of when you fought someone with the backwards alphabet. Like, it, it's... It's like a Cold War against the Muslim world. They don't have nukes. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh, sorry. I just... I love these normal quotes. Um, great country. Yeah. Wonderful country. Um, it's, it's, it's all a collection of wonderful countries. Um I mean, to to Geert Wilders' credit, I mean, he didn't say Cold War, but he just said a, a jihad. Yes, yeah, no, he he was more reframed than this. Um, I, I think the Cold War against Islam quote is from uh, a Pim Fortun. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Jesus. Uh, anyway, I, I, I. But again, I think that like most Dutch people would defend this as normal speech. Like they would say, like this is free speech and you should be allowed to say it. So like it's these two figures and they do get a lot of votes, but even the people who do not vote for them or who will say like, I disagree still live in that same landscape of media and, and discussion of like free speech is super valuable and important and everything and everyone should be heard and platformed. So I think that's, you know, in itself, what's, what, keeps getting us into trouble i think is that yeah. that idea of like all opinions are valid yeah I, I like it's weird it's kind of like a hard defense to argue because of the some like if someone says like oh it's free speech you should be allowed to say this i'm like yes he should this is fucking hilarious where's this twitter account i can follow <laughs> you're telling me he's in the parliament <laughs> like, yeah like, exactly what? yeah that's the issue right and um, yeah. yeah we yeah we have a lot of strange parties in parliament i have like i have i have a list of i have an entire twitter list of like trad cath like accounts from various european countries just saying the most insane shit and yeah. it's funny because they don't they're they don't have any power they barely have like 500 followers so that's why it's funny but like when it's right when it's like you know head of sometimes possibly the largest or second largest party in a, f- a fairly populated fairly rich european country then uh, no no this isn't fun yeah, well, yeah and especially if people then you know like don't even really like it's not that they just say he should be allowed to say it, but also say something. They will add something like, I understand where he's coming from, though. Or, you know, or like, I do understand the feelings. Like, I might not agree with this statement in this mm. precise. You know, they will always like try to negotiate ways to. Because in their mind, if you stop that negotiation, like things will get worse and spin out of control. And yeah, we've just been like a frog in boiling water, right? Like, slowly the water gets hotter and we keep saying like no this is also normal and this is also okay and we just need to keep talking with each other and have fascists on our tv shows and yeah that will fix itself i see where he's coming from i want a second (laughs) vietnam war where we lose and vietnam becomes muslim (laughs) yeah um, yeah i i see where he's coming from my friend who i know also (laughs) really hates yeah 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 (laughs) um it's yeah it's the the like late 90s m&m strategy of i'm just joking about what you and your friends joke about in your bedroom it's like are you are you really okay Mm -hmm. are you really yeah Yeah. um so the last little point i want to i want to talk about is i i guess snaps us to the present a little bit is uh one of the reasons why the left had a hard time this election is um austerity and the return of the state like austerity uh, is kind of dead uh, to the right-wing parties um there is this now mostly due to the pandemic there's this consensus amongst uh, i want to say rota's party and d66 d66 that like maybe we should do a bit of like public investment and should do some like expanding social security um 
like I, I just want to make sure that like I've seen this in other countries as well, but is that like broadly correct of like how some of these parties have been reacting? I have some questions about that. Mm. Um, I mean, looking at our recent election cycle and the way that was discussed by many people. Um, yeah, there are some ideas about more public investments in some ways um, that then also kind of, you know, like specifically with the Fefe Day with Mark Rutte's party, um, it's presented as his party moving to the left to voters. <laughs> of yeah. like, See, he also wants healthcare now that we're all dying. Uh, probably means he's a leftist too. Um, and, you know, like at the same time, all the leftist parties that had visionary ideas and do it did really want to change things were kind of shut down by both right-wing parties as well as the media in general who were all constantly in the media uh, speaking about how that would basically give future generations endless bills um, that would never be paid off and would put them in debt forever and you know that like if we would really change the system that much and be a functioning welfare state again that that would basically bankrupt us and cause all these issues um you know rhetorics that are simply not true and still very very invested in austerity mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah I, I i agree with on a lot here and you know i'll see it uh, i'll believe it when i see it you know about this supposed left-wing turn of right-wing parties um but i do think that one immediate effect of it has been um and this is kind of st- you know story of, of of the dutch left in the past few years or even decades is that by this new narrative of oh everyone's for a strong government now right we've 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 all come around to this point even the governing Vevede party is you know oh suddenly we we understand the need for a strong um, government that takes care of certain basic things is that um, the uniqueness of the left wing story about um, we want government for the people and not just for the multinationals even though you know brave attempts at driving this point home were made, uh, kind of got washed out. And in part, I think the reason because it became washed out, uh, got washed out is because the, um, there's this attitude and we talked about it a little bit before on the Dutch left is that the best that you can aspire to is entering into a governing coalition. And this recent election, it really, really looked like, and it, it, it happened to be true, that Mark Rutte was going to co- be coasting to re-election quite easily. Nothing could really dent him for some reason. Um, he was polling well. He was consistently polling well, and he was going to go into the election as the surefire winner. And so um, the Green Party, I think, particularly sort of tried to position itself as we're reasonable folk, right? We mm. don't do opposition too hard or too harshly. Um, and so they didn't politicize the handling, the, the very, very bad and inept handling of the COVID crisis by the Dutch government. They didn't really politicize this out of a sense that we're all in this together. It just needs to be solved. And we are here as dependable, reliable, left-wing future coalition partners that can help solve this crisis for us. But if you refuse to do genuine opposition, people are just going to be like, well, then what's the difference, right? And again, like we said before, you said before, Kieran, you know, if, if it's if it's Diet Coke or Coke, I'll just have a Coke. Let me be indulgent. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Okay. So I, I, I think that's uh, rounding out. I, I Well, there's some, there's some more stuff to say, but like we're, we're trying to fit an analysis of, um, I think like Europe's sixth or eighth most populated country. 
into like an hour and a half. Um, but I'm glad we managed to do it. Uh, 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 that's everything you need to know about the Netherlands. Nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I would yeah. ask one question. I don't know if, if you want to, Kieran. This is like again would take another hours to answer. But after, I mean, I always feel like I need to ask after talking about how um, the quote of like what you what, what whether you want to call it fake politics, uh, a spectacle, um, depoliticization, how it took root in a particular country. What do you see as the most um, whether or not it's like big or or very small, like what do you see as like potential for like to politicize uh, people, to give people like a forward political direction, to bring people together? Are there any issues or groups or I don't know ongoing events that that you want to to make note of? Well, we have Bayane in our parliament now with Sylvana Simons, and that is a major thing. Um, she also ran in tw- 2017 and didn't make it then, and she did make it now. And yesterday, when we had these very long debates because Rutte lied about stuff, um, which parliament ultimately didn't approve, but also didn't fire him for. Um, but anyhow, we had this, these big debates where all these newly elected uh, politicians could really show themselves and shine and she was there and did very great and you know a lot of people in my surroundings who would not who who didn't vote for her during the elections were like texting me saying like oh I wish the elections were right now because I would vote for her next time or even um people who really didn't vote for her who would say I I'm really happy she's there and she's doing really great um I thought that kind of showed a normalization of radical leftist idealism that you know, that that still has a home somewhere. And that, yeah, I mean, I'm really happy that she's there. And I keep trying to urge people to become members of the party as well and support them in any possible way. Because, yeah, they're they're truly opposing um, both Rota and the extreme right and, and urging for, um, yeah, a better future, a more radical leftist future. I'm slightly less optimistic. Um there was a statistic that the Pave de As base, you know, like political base, is uh, very, very old and is all going to die pretty much in the next, you know, ten to twenty years tops. Um, and I think that left wing political power draws on other sites of mobilization, right? And this happens in society first, and it traditionally, of course, was labor unions, uh, those types of organizations. Um, in the Netherlands, labor unions, by and large, are still dominated by baby boomers and sub-boomers, but like older folks that are in there to protect their uh, benefits and pensions. And I think a genuine resurgence of left-wing politics in the Netherlands that is greater than just some you know nice parties that we like to have in the margins needs to come from a repolitization of Dutch social life, which I don't really see happening in the short term, although there are some specks of light. Um, so I'm a little less optimistic. And if you look at the voting preferences of young people, y- you can see that for the foreseeable future, the left is going to remain decimated. Um, so build it outside of politics uh, first before you're going to see uh, a resurgence of left-wing power in parliament as well. And, it re- and that will have to you know, um, be a long and, and arduous work, rebuilding the labor unions, making sure that they speak to young people instead of just old people. Um, but we'll see. 
But I think this is where uh, Tyson and I always end in every podcast is that I say something very positive and then Tyson says something very negative and then I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Tyson, you're also right. And then we're like, well, you know, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will and, you know, keep going forward. He's obviously right. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Sadder for it. But yeah. <laughs> it was great, guys. I really enjoyed um, being here and thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Uh, where can people listening uh, uh, find you? Uh, uh, and if it's incredibly Dutch, don't worry, we will put a link to it in the description <laughs> for people. Uh, well, we're on Twitter under at uh, Redelijke Midden, uh, also on Instagram under the same tag. Um, to be, and you can listen to us. Yeah, to be clear, that on, is the podcast your, that I think no one ever mentioned <laughs> because Kieran was too scared. We to try. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have very occasional English language episodes, but they're specials and, and, and generally like, we tend to be in Dutch. So unless you don't. <laughs> I listen to it. <laughs> you, you speak the dark language. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> um, but yeah. Cool. We'll also have links to Thesis uh, uh, and Analot's uh, uh, personal Twitters in the description uh, for you We're guys. very funny. They are. I have checked it out and I hit that Google Translate button and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> funny, a, huh? This yeah. is a good tweet. This is something I like. Um, Difficult when it's an image macro. Really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, God. I, mm-hmm. I need Google Translate to get on that like right the now. The international like, Twitter community, we, we need to have a conference to sort out how to work with uh, jokes that are in the, the meme format. Yeah, exactly. Like, but, <laughs> look, the impact font memes just made it to mainland Europe. Okay, this is not too late to, to solve this. Um, yeah, but uh, in general, uh, uh, that's that's the Netherlands. I hope everyone listening learned a lot. Um, it's it's good to see real politics enter the parliament again in the form of Volt. Definitely not like a party of spectacle and uh, <laughs> kids who have landlords for parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will um we wish uh, uh we wish everyone well in the cold war against islam uh this podcast is dedicated to the brave mujahideen fighters of the netherlands and yep signing out we'll see you on the bonus feed ciao ciao peace bye <laughs> bye